0: All right, the book of Acts covers about 30 to 35 years of church history. Um, During that time, uh, in 30, 35 years, a lot of things happened. And Acts begins at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are 120 believers uh, that that were assembled together after Jesus uh, was uh, ascended into heaven. If you will, that was the church. Uh, That was the number of believers that were there, Uh, a a church about a half or or so the size of ours. But God came upon that 120 people and the Holy Spirit filled them and they literally changed their world. By the end of the book of Acts, 35 years later, the gospel had covered just about every corner of the Roman Empire. It had covered Northern Africa, uh, uh, all of Europe, uh, much uh, every part of what today we call the Middle East was saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It had gone from one church in the city of Jerusalem to hundreds of churches speaking all types of languages, reaching all types of people all around the then known world that was part of the Roman Empire. The Apostle Thomas by that time had taken the gospel into the country of India. Uh, John Mark we talked briefly about him last week took the gospel into Egypt and parts of Libya uh, and so forth and these people were relentless they were unstoppable the book of Acts cannot cover every detail and every place and every person that was a part of that remarkable spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ so the Holy Spirit highlighted part of it for us it's included in this book Uh, that we call the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostle. We see a church that started primarily with Jewish people in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 that got saved, mostly Jewish people. Uh, 4,000 people got saved later on in Acts 4. Uh, We can pretty much guarantee Jewish people, because they had all come to the temple to pray, uh, and so forth. And in their minds, they saw that the gospel was for the Jews only. Persecution hit by Acts chapter eight. The church at Jerusalem got scattered, but not silenced. The Bible said they went everywhere preaching the word. They filled the region of Judea to the south, the region of Samaria to the north. They spread over into the country of Syria, the city of Damascus, taking the gospel, but still primarily moving towards Jewish people. Acts chapter 8, as it progressed a little further, we saw God open the door and Samaritans began to get saved, those that were half Jew, half Gentile by birth, and so forth. And the Jewish people started understanding that the gospel is not just for us, Samaritans were included. We saw in Acts chapter 10, the Lord opened the door of the gospel to the Gentiles, where Cornelius, a Roman his household, his staff and so forth uh, got saved and they were beginning to understand that the gospel was not just for one group of people but literally and truly God so loved the world, not just the Jewish world but the entire world with the gospel. Thus far the, uh, the book of Acts has centered on the church at Jerusalem, uh, its foundation, the ministry that they had and boy what, a, what an amazing church. They were a church of, of uh, prayer. Uh, if anything marked them, it was just about prayer. They could hold a 10-day prayer meeting and not even blink an eye. Uh, it, was as, it was as normal and important to them as breathing is. Every crisis and every need that came along was responded to in prayer. And not just prayer by one or two people, Uh, It was prayer by the entire church. They were marked by that. It was a church of remarkable unity. Over and over again, we've seen the the Bible talk about how they were all with one accord in one place. They were all of one heart. They were all of one mind. It was a, a church of tremendous unity. By the way, people of prayer tend to be that way. They tend to be that way. Because you see, we can't all show up at the throne of grace and be at odds one with another. It it doesn't work that way. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to everyone else who is getting close to God. And the church had that sense of unity. It was a church of tremendous focus. Uh, that when it came to the things of this earth, we, we read in Acts four that none of them said that the things that they possessed belonged to them. They didn't see things as mine and in ours. Uh, everything they had, that they just saw that it belonged to the Lord. And if God needed it or God's people needed it, uh, that was just that was fine with them. And and they had this focus that was entirely God focused. This theme magnified the Lord was magnified in the church at Jerusalem. And God's work of getting the gospel out to the entire world began in that church. But in Acts chapter 11, the Holy Spirit is about to shift the focus from the church at Jerusalem to a brand new church and one of the first of its kind churches, a Gentile church. Look, if you would, please, and we're going to review just a bit, try to finish chapter 11 uh, here tonight. Uh, The Bible says in verse 19, Acts chapter 11, verse 19, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus in Antioch. They're moving northward, okay? And the Bible says, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Right after the persecution of Stephen, at that point, the church was still focusing on Jewish people. They didn't quite understand that the gospel was meant for Gentiles as well. They weren't necessarily trying to be bad uh, or sinful or anything like that. They just didn't know that God had a bigger plan than that. The Bible says in verse 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, two of the countries named in Acts 2 that were present on the day of Pentecost, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Like Peter preached to Cornelius, a Roman centurion in Joppa, Uh, now all of a sudden they're preaching to Greeks here in this place called Antioch. And the Bible says, in the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, stop for a moment at verse 21 and and would would you realize how amazing this is? The Greek people were steeped in idolatry that was hundreds of years old. Their idolatry was borrowed from pagan cultures much older than that. They worshipped a pantheon of false gods and goddesses, uh, some of which stagger the imagination, and that's what they were raised to believe in. They fought wars over their religion. The Greeks under Alexander the Great conquered the world, the known world at one time, and they took their Greek religion everywhere with them. Now all of a sudden, this handful of people comes up, they're refugees from the persecution in Jerusalem, and they begin preaching to these Greek people, the Lord Jesus. They're preaching about a Jewish man who lived a sinless life, who was nailed to a cross and buried and raised again three days later, explaining God's plan of salvation to people who have no idea what the scriptures are, have no idea who Jehovah God was, have no idea about any of those things. Um, How do you even start with someone like that? Um, We go out soul winning and and we'll knock on doors and, and yeah, we find people from other parts of the world from other religions. We'll find Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and things like that. But here in the States, a lot of the people that we knock on doors and talk to are from some type of a church that, that has a little bit of understanding of, of some Bible teaching, you know, the birth of Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they, they have a general idea of some things. They may not have the plan of salvation down, but they have a, a basis in, in, in kind of Christian thought. How many know what I'm saying? So we're, we're showing them from the Bible that if they're trusting their good works or their church membership or their infant baptism or something like that, uh, as, as their merit to get to heaven, that that won't work and that uh, we, we explain the gospel to them and so forth. We're at least coming to them on some common ground. When they went to Antioch, there was no common ground with these people. There was when they preached to the Jews in the previous verse, verse 19. But then when they're starting to preach to the Greeks now, there's no common ground It is an amazing thing, therefore, it says the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. You understand, to turn unto the Lord, they're turning away from some things. Keep your place here. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonica was in the northern part of the Greek peninsula. These people too would have been steeped in the same gods and goddesses and religions of the people as the people at Antioch. But Paul writes to them in his introduction, he says in verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were uh, among you for your sake. The power of God was present. You also saw our lives. Folks, we cannot underestimate the importance of our testimony and our example. If our example does not line up with our exhortation, our efforts are going to be fruitless. They've got to line up. Paul said, you saw what manner of men we were. Verse 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia, that's the northern part of of Greece, and Achaia, that's the southern part. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God, remember back in Acts 11, uh, the Bible says a great number believe and turned unto the Lord. Same thing happened in Thessalonica. He said, ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this is an amazing thing that's happening in Antioch. It happened in Thessalonica. They weren't adding God, the God of the Bible. They weren't adding Jesus onto their pantheon of gods. They were rejecting you know, Athena and Apollo and and all of their false gods and goddesses, they were turning away from them and they were embracing the one true living God, the God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Um, It was a marked difference for them. Hinduism has over a million gods and goddesses and various things that they worship. That almost staggers the imagination to think that there could be that much. For a Hindu person, you can explain to them the gospel and that Jesus is God. If you're not careful, they will receive Jesus as their savior, but they're not getting saved. They're simply adding him as one more God. They now have a million and one gods. Jesus is just another one up there with Krishna and all the rest, you know, and that type of thing. For a Hindu person to get saved, you understand, they have to turn their back on a million false ones to receive the one true one. And there's where the rub comes in. Because see, everybody they know, everybody they love, the culture that they've been raised in revolves around the million false gods. And for them to reject that and say, all of your gods are false, that Jesus Christ is the only hope, Puts them at odds with everything in their culture. That's why there's violence over these issues. This is what's happening in, in Antioch. Go back to Acts chapter 11. Again, we read verse 21. We, we marvel at what God's doing, but I don't think we marvel enough sometimes at the power of God to break through to the minds of people. Verse 22, uh, Then tidings, uh, tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. The apostles were still in Jerusalem. We know that in Acts chapter 8. And they were the the leaders uh, of the ministry. The Lord had established them as such. When they heard about this church that was entirely made up of Greek people that had believed, they sent Barnabas up there. To, uh, to make sure that they're, they're teaching these people right, that this really is the work of God, uh, and so forth, and, and rightly so. Uh, there's, a, there's always been false teaching out there. Uh, there is today, just as much as there was then. So they picked this man Barnabas, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, we talked about this last week, God's moving in their lives was so evident, you could see that they were different. You could see that God was changing them. Um, and, and when he saw that, he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he, this is this man Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. We talked about Barnabas last week and we made some statements. We, we looked at his life as it's revealed in the book of Acts for us. And uh, we just saw some things about this remarkable individual. His name was not, his birth name was not Barnabas. Okay, his birth name was Joseph, or Joseph, we might say. Uh, the apostles actually gave him the nickname Barnabas. Anybody remember what his name, that nickname meant? The son of consolation, um, or the, the son of comfort. Remember the Holy Spirit in John 16 is, uh, Jesus referred to him as the comforter. And Barnabas uh, was a man that was seen in the church as that type of a spirit-filled man because he was, he was just that to, to other people. We learned, number one last week, um, Barnabas sacrificed to be a blessing to other people. He had land uh, in Cyprus. He sold that land, laid it at the apostles' feet, said, feed Whoever's hungry, clothe whoever needs it by by lodging for whoever needs that. Uh, he sacrificed to be a blessing. Must have been such a big way. That's where he got his nickname from. He blessed so many people by his giving. Number two, he stayed faithful during persecution. He didn't he uh, he didn't uh, quit because things got tough. The Savior taught in the parable of the sower in Matthew thirteen about seed that landed on stony ground that sprang up right away, but it had no root. And uh, in the parable, uh, the the Savior taught that, uh, you know, the plant grew up, but the roots were were not down into the earth. And when the sun came out, it just burned it all up, it shriveled and died and never bore any fruit. And Jesus explained, those are the people that they're all excited about the Bible and they're all excited about the gospel when they first hear it. But then all of a sudden persecution comes along, things get tough. There's a a cost to this. And he says, by and by they're offended and they go away and they're done. Barnabas was not like that. He was a man that had depth and persecution didn't change anything about him. We learn number three, he saw potential where others did not. When Saul of Tarsus got saved, the great persecutor of the early church, Nobody else wanted him in their church, not at all. He had a reputation. He was a bad guy. They, they didn't trust him. But Barnabas, the Bible says in Acts 9, took him. He shared the testimony how God had changed this man's life. And um, uh, we're going we're, we're to see again tonight that he did, a, he did some more of that in Saul's life. We saw he took his nephew, John Mark, who didn't start out so well. Uh, he went on the first missionary journey, and something happened. I don't know if he just got homesick. I don't know if he got afraid because of some trouble they faced, but John Mark just quit and went home and left them high and dry. When it came time to go again on a second journey, Barnabas wanted to take his nephew, John Mark, with him, and Paul said, absolutely not. He's not going. And Barnabas and Paul started the fight. The contention was so bad, they parted ways, never, never to work together again. But uh, Barnabas took John Mark with him, and they went one direction. Paul took Silas and went another. At the end of his life, though, we, we looked last week in 2 Timothy 4, Paul told Timothy, bring Mark with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Others wanted to throw John Mark away because he messed up. He stumbled, he fell. Barnabas wasn't that kind of guy. Yeah, maybe he messed up, but God gives second chances. And he took him under his wing, and my, how God used him. We have the gospel of Mark because of that. That St. John Mark eventually died a martyr's death in the country somewhere on the border of Egypt and Libya. He was crucified um, for the cause of Christ. And a lot of his faithfulness and his usefulness came because he had an uncle that saw potential where others did not. We need, need to learn to see through the eyes of faith when we look at young people or new people or whatever it is, because we have no idea what God might do. Uh, It's often said, David's brothers saw a shepherd boy. In fact, when he showed up at the battlefield to deliver them lunch from from their dad, they sent him home. Why don't you go with those few sheep? You're just just here uh, to meddle in all that. All they saw was a kid fit for nothing but feeding sheep. But when God saw David, God saw a king. And we need to learn to see people the way God does. We need to see what God can do to them instead of where they're at right now. Because God can change anyone. Barnabas did that. I want to give two more statements about Barnabas and then we'll move forward tonight. Because the Bible said in verse 24, he was a good man. So what's a good man look like? He sacrifices to be a blessing to to others. He stays faithful even during times of difficulty and persecution. He sees potential where others do not. Number four, he stimulated others to cleave unto the Lord. Again, would you look at verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. I have that verse highlighted in my Bible uh, that is open before me. Um, He sees these people, they're growing in grace. The uh, fruits of of, of truly being saved are evident in their lives. That's why the Bible says he saw the grace of God and so forth. But a lot of people start out like that. A lot of people start very well, but they don't end up that way. They don't stay that way. Again, we talked about the parable of the sower and the seed that fell on stony ground and persecution came and those that seemed to be excited just withered and and fell away. And Barnabas is well aware of that and so he exhorts these people. He says that with purpose of heart they'd cleave unto the Lord. No one becomes a good Christian by accident. You don't become a good Christian by accident any more than you climb Mount Everest by accident. You're not just out for a photo op one day and keep backing up so your wife can get a p- better picture and then all of a sudden said, honey, look, you're at the very top. It doesn't happen that way. You plan for years and years and years to make that climb, to get to the summit uh, of that mountain. You do it on purpose. And, and Barnabas is telling these people, you need to purpose in your heart. You need to make a decision. You're not going to quit just because it gets tough. You're not going to quit because it's not popular anymore you're not going to quit because your friends quit but with purpose of your heart you're just going to stay right with the lord question how many of you always feel like reading your bible i mean every day you wake up every day and you cannot wait to read your bible who's like that cuz if so i need you to sign my bible cuz you're a better christian than me none of you how many? How many of you look forward to your prayer time? All I mean, it is the highlight of your day, and you never have a day where you just want to put it off or other things come along and you just don't get to it. How many always have that prayer time? Yeah, no hands, huh? Uh, how many always follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit to pass out a gospel tract to somebody, knock on a door, invite somebody to church? How many always? Follow that prompting. How many always want to come to church? I mean, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, Wednesday night, missions, conference, everything going on. You cannot wait to get to church always. How many like that? We are a bunch of backsliders, aren't we? Why are we like that? Anybody? Pat? We're sinful. We're we're made of flesh. Uh, And the Bible says in Galatians, the flesh... Lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary the one to the other. Um, you know, uh, Jesus uh, rebuked the, uh, the apostles, uh, uh, three of them, Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he asked them to pray, he came back uh, an hour later and they were sound asleep. He said, the spirit indeed is willing. We have the best of intentions. We know we're supposed to serve the Lord, he said, but the flesh is what? It is weak. Now, that's why it's important that you and I purpose in our heart that we're gonna stay right with God. We have to do it on purpose. Now, I'm not talking about the fact if you have 105 temperature and all that kind of stuff, you ought to come to church and infect your brothers and sisters in Christ. We would prefer that you don't. Okay, we're not talking about that. I'm just talking about where you're just not feeling it today. Uh, you're not supposed to go to church because you're feeling it. You're supposed to go to church because you're supposed to go to church. Do you know that? Um, how many going to get, how many have the privilege you can call your boss up in the morning and say, hey, I know I'm supposed to be there at eight o'clock, but I'm not feeling it today. I'm, I'm, I'm just really not. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm not coming today. How many of your boss is going to be okay with that? Linda's boss is going to be okay. Are you self employed or something? Oh, she, she's retired. That doesn't count. Just keep your hand down. Go back to sleep. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that must be nice. I can't imagine that. Uh, let me rephrase it for everybody, But Linda, Those of you that have jobs, okay, uh, how many would get away with it? It's not going to happen. You're just expected to be there, not on the basis of your feeling it, but you're supposed to be there. We're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Hebrews chapter 10. Is that not Bible? We're not supposed to forsake it. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. do um, you know I'm not supposed to come to church because I'm, uh, I'm the pastor? I'm supposed to come to church because I'm a child of God. I- I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be here whether I'm feeling it or not. Now, I I realize, like other people here, and especially in recent uh, months with the heart things and stuff like that, sometimes there there have been moments where I just was not physically able to be here, but that's the exception, not the rule. Um, Barnabas is giving these people an important teaching that with purpose of heart, every one of us at some point in our lives needs to decide I'm going to live for God no matter what. Now, I realize I need God's grace to do that because my spirit is willing, but my flesh is still weak. I need God's grace, but somewhere I have to make a decision. You ask my children if we ever had a debate on Saturday night or Sunday morning about whether or not we were going to go to church. If we ever said, do you think we ought to go? That conversation never happened. Say well, yeah, but you were employed by the church. Um, Trained it wasn't. She didn't have to come. Um, when our when our kids turn teenagers, they never got the choice. Well, I don't feel like going to church. You're my house, my rules. Climb in the car. We're going to church. That that debate never happened in our house. Uh, my kids came to Sunday school, and I was not I, I was concerned if, if they didn't want to because that said something was off spiritually with them, and that burdened me as to what is off that they didn't want to come. Um, but they still didn't get the choice. You see, I was the dad. It's my job to train them up in the way that they should go. Um, it, it's part of that, that, that spirit that Barnabas was imparting to these people, saying, look, the devil's going to fight you. Your flesh is going to fight you. The world's going to be against this. Not just going to church, but the entire Christian life. You need the purpose in your heart. Notice again in verse 23. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would... What's the next word? Cleave unto the Lord. They would cleave unto the Lord. Now, a lot of times the word cleave, we think of splitting something. Okay? But it can also mean to join together. Uh, God told um, uh, Adam, uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they two shall be one flesh. And we get that idea of cleaving like this, grabbing a hold of and so forth. But the word cleave is really a, 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 an amazing word that goes a step beyond that. By definition, I'm one of these guys that studies words out and I want to I get it all and, and, and get as much out of it as I can. The word cleave or the phrase cleave unto means to stay further. If you look up in Strong's Dictionary, uh, the word cleave or the phrase cleave unto, the very first definition you're going to find is stay further. Now, when I looked at that, (laughs) what on earth does that mean? Stay further. And then as I kind of pieced it together and thought it over, it just dawned on me. God has brought us to a certain place in our Christian life. Let me, uh, oh, I I don't have my uh, cordless. I couldn't find it tonight, so you'll just have to pretend with me. Let's say this is where I I start out and I get saved, okay? Okay. And I start growing in grace and the Lord's taking me on this spiritual journey and I'm, I'm learning the Bible and I'm learning how to serve God, I'm learning about prayer, uh, I'm learning about surrender and, and so on and so forth. And God's answering prayer. and People are maybe getting saved. I'm seeing God do a few things. and Maybe God's uh, finding ways to use me uh, and my talents, whatever they might be for the Lord. And I'm, I'm no longer where I started out. I'm taking those steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. How many are with me so far? This idea of cleave unto the Lord, this stay further, means that I understand no matter how far God's taken me, he's got more and a farther place he wants to take me. He wants me to grow beyond where I am and go further than that. Jim's story. A Couple of years ago, I've been training with Sam now for about three and a half years, right after I lost my leg. Uh, When we started out, I couldn't do a single sit up. I, I failed at absolutely everything. And about a year into training, um, all of a sudden, he said, we're gonna deadlift. I'd never deadlifted in my life. I wasn't even sure what they were. I didn't grow up around a gym. And he had the barbell set up and he had two 10 pound plates on it. They were the lightest plates you had. And we began the process of learning how to deadlift. And it was an utter disaster. I was still new with this, this above the knee prosthesis. It wasn't fitting well at the time and so forth. I had absolutely no control over it. And I, I can't get away because again, I don't have the cordless, but for a deadlift, you have to get down almost into a crouching position, shoulders back, grab the bar, and you have to stand up with the bar, keeping the back straight uh, and the hips hinging uh, just in the right way and so forth. Well. Number one, I couldn't get down in that position because my prosthesis didn't want to do that. Every time I tried, the knee was flying out to the left. And um, then if I could get it down there, when I tried to to, uh, lift with it, uh, the leg just literally flew out to the side on the left and uh, I had no control over it. I'd lose control of the weight and they would fall, I would fall and and we were there. so Sam said, we, we were trying to figure a way to make the left foot stop moving. And we put down a yoga mat. Uh, that didn't work. So we kept the yoga mat and we added two uh, 60-pound kettlebells on each side and they kind of helped. So he moved up to, to 80-pound kettlebells on each side. And that's the only thing that kept the foot from moving except when I went down to grab the bar, the kettlebells were in the way of the bar. It was a nightmare. No matter how, I, how much I did it, um, my right leg was doing all the work, my right knee was hurting like crazy, uh, my right hip was hurting uh, because it was doing all the work. It was, it was awful. I, I'm going to guess it was the stupidest thing to behold for anybody that was watching this, this one-legged guy trying to do all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I dreaded when I came in uh, to train and there Sam had the deadlift stuff set up and he said, we're going to deadlift today. And uh, he loved them and, and I just smiled and said, "I hate you uh, inside. I never said it out, outside. I, it was just I hated deadlifting and all of that. Um, it was it was a nightmare but but Sam wanted me to go further. We, we worked on things. we watched videos on YouTube of above the knee amputees, deadlifting. Uh, he watched them, I watched them we come in and, and show each other what we had found we uh, we invented some, a, a, a mind game called squeeze the ball. And, and it's where I imagine that I have a rubber ball between my knees and I'm squeezing my knees together to keep the ball from dropping to the floor. And with that in mind, I go down to get into the position for the deadlift and I keep that thought going as I lift up. Uh, it's called squeeze the ball uh, and so forth. Um, so we're, we're two years into deadlifting now. Um, I don't use a yoga mat anymore. There are no 80-pound kettlebells on each side of my foot to keep it from moving. Uh, on Monday, by the way, my cardiologist and my doctors know what we're doing. They're A-OK with it. They're encouraging me to keep up with it. Uh, on Monday, I did four sets of deadlifts, 10 deadlifts per set. Uh, the last set, and it wasn't it was an extreme weight. We're staying away from that. Uh, but I deadlifted 165 pounds 10 times without stopping. The foot never moved. Uh, when I was done and set the bar down, it was in exactly the same place that I started from uh, and so forth. Uh, I, I was astounded. It was actually one of the better, best days of deadlifting that I'd had. I'd had four sets in a row, uh, that type of thing, and, and Sam was like beside himself on there and uh, so I'm, I'm thinking I have a pretty good accomplishment. And then, then Sam said this. He goes, I can't wait till you're healed up from your surgery. And we're going to get back to deadlifting. He said, because I've been doing a little study, and, it, and I think the bones are going to be stronger than ever before. You're not going to have the heart problem. You're going to have better oxygen flow. He said, I think we're looking at two, 225, 250 deadlifts when uh, all this is said and done. You say, what's the point of the illustration? Sam has taken me so far in two years that it boggles my imagination to know what I'm in, I, I can do. It, it, it really sometimes amazes me I'm that awesome. Uh, no, it's just well, what he's taught me in the work. But I realize something, Sam's not ready for me to stop here. Sam wants me to get out there. I can't even imagine lifting 250. I'm an old geezer for one thing. I got one leg for another thing, and that's heavy for a third thing. But see, Sam wants to take me farther than I've gone. The question is, am I willing to let him take me there? See, it's not just gonna happen. There's gonna be a whole lot of work once I'm healed up from this thing, and the surgery's all part of ancient history, There's going to be a whole lot of work between where I'm at now and deadlifting 250 pounds. But my trainer wants to take me there so the decision's up to me. Am I going to stay further? How many understand? God has taken everybody in this room a certain distance on your spiritual journey. How many if we had the time and the opportunity, you could testify of how God's changed your life since you got saved. How many? I hope everybody could do that. And by the way, we're all at different places. We've all been saved a different amount of time. We've been exposed uh, to Bible teaching, uh, sometimes to different levels and degrees and so on and so forth. Never look down on somebody because they aren't where you are yet. You weren't always as awesome as you are now either. Okay? But here's the point. I don't care how far, I don't care how far God's taking you, it's not as far as he wants to. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians chapter two. The Bible says in verse nine, he is going to quote the prophet Isaiah. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Is that not a great verse? Look at it again. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We've seen God do some amazing things at our church. We had one Sunday here where 722 people came to church on a Sunday morning. One Sunday, all in the same place at the same time. How many were here for that? 722 people. We saw it. We saw what God did and there's no way to say we did that. We just saw what God did. According to this verse, God's got a whole lot more planned. See, we've seen that. God's got stuff we haven't seen yet. How many have seen some answers to prayer? Anybody? Aren't they awesome? You've seen God answer some prayers, but the Bible says right here, you haven't seen yet what God's got prepared. He's got bigger answers that he wants to show you. He's got greater things. Uh, God's used many of you in in incredible ways. God's not done. God's not done. So going back to Acts chapter 11 as we draw this thing to a close tonight uh, about this guy uh, Barnabas, verse 23 again, who when when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. They would stay further unto the Lord. Dedicate yourself to this. Give yourself to this. Determine that by the grace of God, you're going to go further for God. This church in Antioch had no idea what God had in store for them. The book of Acts is going to reveal just how incredible... It was. God was going to take the world's first Greek church. And I don't mean Greek Orthodox, just Greek by background. He was, it was not going to be a Jewish church. It was going to be the the world's first totally Greek slash Gentile church. And God was going to use them to turn the world upside down. They had no idea. They were just a bunch of new believers they just gotten saved and undoubtedly gotten baptized and they were growing in grace and they weren't worshiping the false idols anymore and they were excited about the things of God and they were learning how to pray and they were coming to church and singing as unto the Lord and there was a spirit about them and it was all new and it was all exciting and Barnabas said, I want you to promise God that you're not going to quit. I want you to promise God you're going to stay further and let God take you further than you've even imagined that God could do that, and they did. And we're going to see, we're going to have a hiatus in Acts 12 for just a little bit. We're going to go back to Jerusalem for a while, but then we're going to come back to the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to see God take that same church and use them in a phenomenal way. And if it was true for the church at Antioch, I believe with all of my heart, it's true for Heritage Baptist Church of Wallingford. We ain't seen nothing yet. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have come entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but will never see it unless we purpose in our heart to stay further to cleave unto the Lord.